0: team at this time as you're finding your seat please say hello to the person next to you and children you are now dismissed can you put that back can you put that up back there can you put that back there Well, it is, as I said, a great morning to gather together as the body of believers. And uh, it's always good to greet one another in the Lord. Some people might be new around you. Uh, some people you might not have seen for a while. So it's always good to say hello and welcome new people. Well, today we are going to continue in our series in the book of 1 Corinthians. And we're going to look at the second week of our five-week series titled Crazy Christians. Now, with this title obviously comes some of the, uh, the, the important conversation of slightly mature discussion that happens because in the book of Corinthians, in the church of Corinth, crazy and wild things were happening. And so here, Paul teaches us how to deal with crazy Christians. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and we thank you for your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will bring the Word alive to our hearts and to our spirits this morning. That as we open up the Word of God and we see the true tenets that are within it, that we'll be transformed, not just informed. I pray that you'll bless this time and encourage our hearts and strengthen our resolve in you, in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. I remember writing a paper for one of my master's classes. And you you can think of this as a procedure or something that you had to do in your work life as well. But as I was writing this paper, I was laser focused. I was writing the best paper of my life. And as I got to about 75% of the paper being done, I was so excited about this paper. I went back and I looked at the prompt and the rubric for my paper. And as I looked at the prompt and the rubric for my paper, I realized that the entire thing was on the wrong topic. <laughs> Has anyone ever done that before? Yeah. I mean, I was so frustrated because this was the greatest paper on the planet, and I almost wanted to turn it in and say, your prompt was dumb, professor. Mine was better. <laughs> but I don't, you don't do that. <laughs> you don't do that, especially in higher education, like a master's degree. So I had to go back. I had to adjust my focus and write another totally different paper, which was nearly, uh, nearly as good as the one prior. But I, I share that because my focus was off. I had to redirect my focus to the right prompt, to the right thing that needed to be written. And I, and I believe in our lives, Christian lives, we can get off focus. We can lose focus that we're supposed to have, the the laser focus we are to have as believers. And part of that lack of focus is when we begin to point out the sins of the wrong people. When we spend so much time with our fingers out this way and not asking the Spirit to touch us this way. And we lose our focus. And this was the story of the church in Corinth. I've said many times as we've been doing a very long series in the book of Corinth with many series that show up within the book that I believe that the church in Corinth was a, is a perfect reflection of the Western church today. I think if we were to look in the mirror at one of these churches, the, the church of Corinth would smack us in the face with almost mirror image of who we are. And so I think that we also wrestle as a church, as a larger church in the American culture, with this same thing. One pastor once said, Christians are notorious at expecting far more of non-Christians than Christians. And I believe that has been the case in my own life and in the lives of others. Point number one is that many Christians tend to focus on the problems outside of the church rather than the problems inside the church, rather than the ones inside the church. And and Paul has a very strong conversation for the church in Corinth. And we see that he answers this question, how can we correct our focus for the sake of mission? Because just like when your focus is off in writing a paper or putting together a piece of Ikea furniture, which you can get 75% of the way done with Ikea furniture and realize why are all these screws still here? Because you totally flopped on following the instructions. Your focus was off. And the same thing happens to mission in the church when our focus is off. So how can we correct our focus for the sake of mission? Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, 9-13, gives us the answer. If you would open your Bible with me or read on the screen, if you're online, it'll be on the screen for you as well. 1 Corinthians 5, 9-13, the word of the Lord. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world. "...or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I had to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge?" God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Paul continues this discussion that we had last week of this one specific scenario of sexual immorality that we looked at. A stepson sleeping with his stepmom and and allowing to be on blast where everybody knew about it. And so he continues in the discussion of how we're to deal with crazy Christians in the crazy Christian world. And when he has this discussion, it almost seems like it's antithetical to what we've learned in Sunday school as children, right? Don't hang out with those people. Don't spend time with those people. You know, we utilize that passage, corrupt people, corrupt good character. And we utilize that, but Paul is saying the corrupt people that I'm speaking of are not those outside you'd have to leave the world and die and go to heaven in order to not spend time with sinners in the world. But I'm talking about those corrupt people who are within the church, who are not dealing with their own sin, who are not being held accountable, who are not repenting, those who are not confessing. And so we see a completely different script than maybe we have been taught. And it can be frustrating when we come to Scripture and we say, wow, I've not really been told the truth for most of my life. We have to open the Bible for ourselves and read. What does God's word actually say? I think too often in the American church or the Western church, we take what people and pastors and teachers say out there at, at absolute 100% value, and we don't dig into the word of God ourselves. Paul says of the Bereans that he loved them because even Paul, as he was preaching to the Bereans, they had their Bible open like, is he teaching something true? I mean, this is Paul. Paul. You'd be like Paul. He knows what he's talking about. I'm just going to listen to everything he says. I don't even need to crack open my Bible. It's Paul. But he encouraged the Bereans. They open up their word. So as we look at this passage, Paul is is pushing back on some ideology. He wrote a, 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 a letter specifically to the church in Corinth. This is technically 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians is technically 3 Corinthians, but we have since lost the first letter that Paul has written, and we do not know what was the content of that, but we do know here that he talked about not associating with sexually immoral people. And as the Corinthians were reading that, they misinterpreted what he was trying to say, and here he's seeking to correct them. The first thing he's calling them to is to bring understanding to our mission, not misunderstanding to our calling. Bring understanding to our mission, not misunderstanding to our calling. He was looking at the church in Corinth and saying, yes, okay, I did write this specific thing to you about sexual immorality. But I thought that you would totally understand that the mission of the church is to be in the world, not of the world, to encourage the world to find Christ, to live a life and speak the truth of who Christ is in the world. But you were shunning them and pushing them away. But yet, inside your own church, there was this issue that you were ignoring. You were saying, well, God's grace is good enough for us to sin, but the world doesn't have God's grace. So we need to push them away. The, this, this idea of what was happening in, in the church in Corinth is mind-boggling, is mind-blowing. But I think we do the same thing often. We miss the truth of our mission. We miss the truth of our calling. And we just sit idle and do little to nothing We don't spend time with unbelievers. We don't spend time out in the world getting to know people who don't know Jesus. We, like I often say, sit in our holy huddles too much. But my friends, we're called to be in the world. We're called to be among those who need the light. They live and walk in darkness, and we are the light. Now, this is where a Sunday school song would really fit, right? We're the light of the world. Right? We sing that song so often with kids, and it's so true. We won't let Satan put out the light that is within us. But we stay in our houses, and we like our little candles to light just our house. Right? We're not letting Satan it out, but we're not bringing it out of our house. You see, the calling and the mission and the, the church in Corinth was missing it. They were so focused on the wrong thing. And when the, the church read this passage from Paul's letter, there's no real conclusion as to did they purposely reinterpret what Paul was saying or did they simply go with their carnal mind to try and understand Paul's words. I fully believe that when reading God's word, we must seek the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. We must seek the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Here, when we use just our brains to open up the word of God, We're going to miss a lot of stuff. Jesus was very specific about the Holy Spirit's role in the life of a believer, and that is to carry us along to understanding. He says, the words that I have said that you do not yet understand, the Holy Spirit will bring understanding. And we can look at Scripture and say, oh, I get what it's saying. I know the interpretation. I I fully, I, I get it. But we don't sit and pray say, Holy Spirit, What does this say to my life? Holy Spirit, give me wisdom to understand the fullness of your word. The Holy Spirit, we see in Scripture, inspired the writers of the word of God. You know, wouldn't you rather have a conversation with the author of a specific book rather than trying to dissect it and understand it yourself? I mean, how many of you guys had to an English class in high school trying to decipher what Aldous Huxley was saying in his book, The Brave New World? Raise your hand. Right? Wow, none of you read that book? I guess I'm the only one. Well, we were asked, you know, dig into this book and see what is Aldous Huxley really trying to say. Decipher it, understand it, pull in the idea of the cultural, political, geographical world of the day, and tell us what Aldous Huxley was saying. I bet you 97% of us, even though we got A's, We're completely wrong. Wouldn't it be much better to talk to Aldous Huxley and say, what in the world did you mean? Because this is a confusing book. The same is true for the Bible. Same is true for the Bible. We must ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten our eyes and our hearts and our minds to understand. But then, as Paul says, we must test the word. Because too often you can go so far with, oh, the Holy Spirit told me this means this and this and this. And... I know, because the Holy Spirit's always in me. But we need to test it with other people and say, I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying this about this passage of Scripture. Am I off? Sometimes people might say, eh, you're a little off. Sometimes those who you know are hearing God's Word are like, yeah, that is spot on. That burns within my heart as the truth of what God is saying to you directly. My friends, Bible study is not just about having a checkbox and reading it and moving on. Word of God is living, breathing, active. We need to be in the Word to understand the Word, and we need the Holy Spirit to help us. And Paul is lovingly trying to correct them, saying, okay, you totally missed what I was trying to say before. Let me say it a little bit clearer. Parents, how many times have you had to say that to your children? Right? Where they're like, they totally interpreted something that you said one way, and you have to take them, maybe sit them down in the chair and say, hang on a second, here's what I really meant. Let's write a detailed list of how you're wrong and how you missed what I was trying to say. Paul is doing that very thing. One commentator says this about this passage. The Corinthians are not to condone sexual immorality in the church, nor are they to treat those outside the church with disdain. Neither activity is part of the life of which they are called. This is an interesting comment about this passage. We are not to treat those outside of the church with disdain. What is the call that we are to those outside of the church? Love. To love them where they are. To try and walk with them in their pain and trials and sorrows and sin. But to love them through it. To show the love of Christ as we are very well known that as we love, we will be known as his disciples. If we do not walk in love, we will not be marked with the mark of the Holy Spirit as a disciple of God to the world. They will not see God within us, the light that we have. We are the only people who can love those who are far from God because we have the Holy Spirit. My friends, this is our mission, this is our call. And this misunderstanding interferes with the mission of the church as so many understandings of the word do misunderstandings when we misunderstand the word of God we misunderstand the most important point of our call and that's the mission of bringing the truth of Jesus to the world amen with our lives and with our mouths if we're to bring the truth of the gospel to the world we have to be in the world this is why we send missionaries out right we send them out to the the end reaches of the world because the world needs to hear the gospel truth of Jesus The same should be true for our neighborhoods, for our jobs, for our communities, for our coffee shops, for wherever you frequent. We should be people who bring the light of the good news. The commentator continues, Paul's concerns seem to be with Christian witness and mission, an aloof attitude toward those outside the church who have not yet experienced God's saving power hinders involvement with non-Christians so that the members of the church can either evangelize nor conduct mission. It's hindering their mission. I think it's really easy for us to point out the sin of the world because the world sins all the time. It's really easy. You've probably heard this, this saying before. When you point a finger, there's three fingers pointing right back at you. Right? Have you guys heard that before? Right? I've heard that. And it's, it's one of those things where you have to stop and say, okay, what does the Bible say about this? What, is this just in Corinthians? No, Jesus says the same thing about pointing out sin in a brother's life where you have to first deal with the log in your own eye before you take out the little sawdust in your brother's eye. We're consistently encouraged by Jesus to self-reflect on our own sin and our own mess before we go out into the world. But we must deal with ourselves before we try and tell the world to deal with themselves. It's hypocritical to not deal with our own sin. Said another way, let's clean the church before we clean the streets. If the church is a mess and and full of sin and full of stuff that we're not dealing with, full of hypocrisy, and we bring the outside world into that messy, messy, dirty place that we refuse to clean up, have we helped them? No, we have not. They might come in and be like, I thought you said you loved Jesus. I thought you said people were dedicated to loving one another. Wow, you really talk bad about these people. (laughs) You, You might not really love these people. I'm out of this thing because this is not what you said it was. Sadly, that has happened all too often with this current generation and the generation before them. They step in and they see the hypocrisy of what has happened in the church, and they say, man, this is no better than the world. You promised a a great family, and I receive the same old, same old that I see in the world. I'd rather go out there and do what I want to do. Some people even say, I was better treated by those outside the church than those inside the church. I've experienced that. In my job, when I worked at Chili's, I had a Jewish manager, and this guy was super awesome. He would encourage me. He taught me how to be a trainer. He would make sure that I had all the right hours. He never yelled at me when I messed up. He was constantly like, hey, dude, like, you totally need to do something different. But one time, when I was a youth pastor in my first church, when I messed up with my, with my lead pastor, he came down to my office and cussed me out. Yeah, that was interesting. Thinking, my manager at Chili's was way better than you. That's rough. That's hard. That's a terrible experience, but it's something that has happened often. We need to clean the church before we clean the streets. 1 Peter 4.17 says it this way. Let judgment begin with the household of God. I think we waste too much time bemoaning the sins and the anxiety and the frustrations of the world out there. Most of our conversation is about frustrating things that are happening outside the church. And all of our conversation is about their sin and all these things. Yes, we understand they sin. But we can spend so much time doing that that we ignore our own stuff. We cannot do that. We must Purge our our own sin by the power of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. And we need to purge our hypocrisy and live honestly. Man, we can't walk in hypocritical living. The world is really good at pointing out that the things that we tell them not to do, we do in secret. The things that we point out in their lives, we do ourselves, but we just pretend as if we don't. Or we say, oh, I got God's grace. You don't. You don't understand. It's okay for me to do this. But you're going to hell. Do you see the difference? This is what was happening in the church at Corinth, and I believe it happens here, too. And part of cleaning up the church, as we saw last week, is Accountability. We must be willing to give tough love. This word here to the church in Corinth and to us, to myself, this is a message that I have to live often. It is so much easier to be frustrated about the world outside than ask the Holy Spirit to speak about the mess inside, right? It's just easier. But we must hold one another accountable. Last week, we talked about this stepmom, stepson situation. And Paul Brought really heavy accountability about kicking that person out of the church. You know what's beautiful about this story? It worked. In 2 Corinthians 2, 1 through 11, you can read it. It leaves the impression that this man and this woman repented of their sin. That church discipline brought them to a place of true repentance. They were living and doing whatever they wanted without any accountability. And Paul brought public accountability and put this, this rebuke of their sin in their lives. And they woke up to their mess. And they corrected it. I mean, that's a beautiful picture of redemption. I'm sure many of you, as you were hearing that story, you're like, that's totally bizarre, totally bananas. How in the world would they do that? How could you come back from that type of sin? But if you read the passages of Scripture, we see that God brought about a full redemption of these two people. I've seen this in my own life, where in my youth, many of you might say you're still young. Maybe I'm coming up to 40. I don't feel very young. But in my younger days in ministry, when Facebook, you know, it was all the rage. It still kind of is with people from my generation because we're old people still on Facebook but when I was on Facebook I, in my youth, I would just, when I got frustrated about something that was happening out in the world, I would just type, I would be like a keyboard warrior and be like, Haha, this is, I'm going to tell the world what's wrong with the world. I'm going to tell everybody what's wrong. And there was this one specific happenstance where a Christian leader posted something that I was like, that is wrong, and I'm going to tell the world. And I was kind of a jerk. How many of you guys have ever been a jerk on Facebook? Come on, raise your hand. Right? Wow. Some of y'all lying. And this is church. Right? And so I, I was a big jerk on this thing. And, and one of my friends, he, he pulls me aside and he says, dude, what did you just write on Facebook? You, you're wrong. And, you know, the, the first thing that happens with the majority of us is when we're rebuked, we get defensive. Like, did you see what he wrote? What are you talking to me for? Email that guy. But then the Holy Spirit hit me and was like, wow, dude, you're way off. So I repented, I deleted it, and I posted on Facebook what I wrote was wrong. And I asked my friend like, you know, forgive me for that." It was a good rebuke. I needed that rebuke. I needed to be challenged. I needed to be held accountable. We all need to be held accountable. Finally, the the next thing that we need to see in this passage, that Paul, he called them to be on mission, to not misunderstand the word of God, but then he calls them to trust God to do his job and don't try to take his place. Trust God to do his job and don't try to take his place. A mentor and professor of mine, Rob Reamer, says this, Christianity 101, God's big, smart, and always right. He knows what he's doing. Right? He knows what he's doing. We don't have to pray and tell God how to do his job. How many of you like me have found yourself doing that? Where you pray, you're like, God, you really gotta do something. God, you gotta intervene. God, you got wow. I mean, talk about big britches to tell God what he has to do. I want you to go into your boss and your manager manager and say, you know what, manager, this is what you need to do. Have fun with that. But we do that to God all the time. But Christianity 101, God is big, God is smart, God is strong. He knows what he's doing. And we have to trust God to do his job, not try to do his job for him. We often like to do God's job. And here, Paul is very specific. He said, God judges those outside. God does that. And Paul says, what do I have to do with trying to judge those outside? Isn't our job to to judge one another, to clean up the church before we try to clean up the streets? Isn't that our job? And isn't it God's job to judge those outside? They will stand before him and they will find their judgment. But our call is to bring as many people to the gospel truth of Christ as possible. Our mission is to go and tell and go and live in word and deed the truth of the gospel to this world. Yes, calling out the truth of what is sinful and what is not sinful. Yes, but it's not our place to judge because here's something that we need to remember. Without the Holy Spirit, the world can't help but to sin. The only reason you and I can walk sinless or righteous or, or try and live the gospel life and, and, and are empowered to do so is because of the Holy Spirit. Too often as Christians, we try to hold non-Christians to a Christian standard. They can't live the Christian standard because they don't have the Holy Spirit. You and I, we have to remember our own mess and say, wow, like Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, I, I can't live this gospel life except for God. I can't do what the Scripture calls me to do except for God. We need to remember that. As we love those who are in the world, they can't help but sin. They just can't. It's their nature. We know this from Scripture, that our human nature is to sin. We need the Holy Spirit. They need the Holy Spirit. And in John 16, 8, we see that the Holy Spirit's job is to convict them of their sin. Judging the world and trying to convict them of their sin is not our job. You'll go crazy trying to do it, (laughs) trust me, because it's not our job. That's like trying to do God's job for him. It's not possible. We can't do it. It's not our job. Our job is to pray for the world. Our job is to be in the world. Our job is to be not of the world, but be different. Our job is to be light in the darkness. Paul's very specific, God will judge the world. The Holy Spirit is the convictor of sin. Jesus himself said throughout Scripture, this truth is happening. But too often we purposely neglect that because we like to point out there and not deal with in here. I'm just as guilty. Finally, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. We are called to be in the world. Paul says as much in in this passage. He's saying, I'm not telling you to ignore them. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. Not at all. That's very strong in the Greek. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and the swindlers or the idolaters since you'd have to leave the world. In order to get away from the world and their sinful problems, you'd have to die and go to heaven. Some of us really want that. But we're called to be in the world, not of the world. If we can love the world without being the world, we will have something they desire because we will be different. The church in Corinth was not only not loving those outside the world, or outside the church, not only were they judging them, but they were allowing the cultural landscape to invade the church. We are to be different. We are to be countercultural. I pray that we will be. I pray that we'll see change as we clean up the church and we clean up our own individual lives, that people will see the difference of Christ and the light of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your word, which challenges, changes, and convicts. I pray, Holy Spirit of the living God, that we will live out the word, not just understand or hear the word, but that this will change our lives. In your name, amen.